I'm going to ask you to take your Bible if you have one or if you have access to a copy of the scriptures and join me in the New Testament. We're beginning a new series this morning in the New Testament book of Hebrews, the, what's called the Epistle to the Hebrews. And so I'm going to invite you to join me in Hebrews chapter 1. There's a lot of mystery that surrounds this book. Uh, it's called an epistle, a letter, but it doesn't bear the marks of a lot of the letters in the New Testament. We're not exactly sure what it was. Some people speculate that this was a sermon that was preached and written down and then circulated among uh, the earliest Christian churches. We're not sure about that. We don't know who wrote it. Um, but we find in this book an incredibly important message for us uh, because the book of Hebrews is a word to the people of God that helps them find stability in an unstable world. It helps them have an anchor in the midst of stormy seas. This is a book that enables us to remain faithful to Jesus even when all the forces around us are trying to push us away from him. And so this book has a lot to teach us, and we're going to begin to look at it together this morning. I'm going to read all of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. It's a little bit more of an extended passage, so I ask for your patience, but I think it's worth us spending time listening to these words. And so would you join me now? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire but of the sun he says your throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and in every transgression or disobedience have a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. We are grateful for your word. We come trusting that you speak to us through these ancient words that were written so long ago, but we also admit sometimes your word is difficult. What we have just read is in many ways overwhelming and difficult to understand and difficult to connect to our lives today and then in the week to come. So we ask for your help. Would you give us clarity? Would you give us humility? Would you give us a willingness to repent and believe what you say? Would you help us to not neglect so great a salvation this morning? We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to receive what you're saying and to be changed by it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. What does Aaron Burr want? At least according to the musical Hamilton, what does Aaron Burr want? Well, he sings that he wants to be in the room where it happens. He wants to be in the room of influence and power. He wants to be in the room where history-changing decisions are made. And if we're honest this morning, I am convinced that we all share Aaron Burr's ambition. We all want to be in the room where it happens. Not in the sense of just crass political power, but Aaron Burr's ambition, though distorted, comes from a very human place. It comes from the very human desire for significance. We all want that. We all want to be in the room where it happens. We want to know that our lives belong to something that matters. That we are more than just a random, meaningless series of firing neurons. We want to know that our lives have meaning and significance. We want to be in the room where it happens. And the book of Hebrews shows us the room where it happens in an ultimate sense. It's what verse 3 calls, and then this book repeats this phrase. It's what it calls the majesty on high. The heavenly realm, the place of greatest significance, greatest consequence. Hebrews shows us the room where it happens, but it not only shows us that room, but it shows us how our lives can be connected to that room. And it shows us that when our lives come into contact with that room, our lives are filled with the profoundest meaning and purpose. So this morning, as we 
begin to consider this book together, let's ask a couple of questions about the room where it happens. First of all, what is it? What is this place of highest significance? And then secondly, how do we belong to it? So first of all, what is it? What is this place of highest significance that Hebrews describes? And in many ways, that is a very difficult question to answer. Because the space that Hebrews shows us, the place that Hebrews shows us, is not a visible, physical, measurable space like the one you're sitting in this morning. And the difficulty of answering this question is unsurprising. Because what we're talking about is God and his dwelling place. And if we could fully understand, if we could fully comprehend, if we could fully grasp God in his dwelling place, then he would be less than us. His beyondness, his more than we can understand is part of what makes him God. But to adapt some words from Robert Browning, though God is beyond our grasp, he is still within our reach. Or rather, we are within his. In other words, though there are many things that we cannot know, that we cannot understand, there are some things about God and his dwelling place that we can know, that we can understand. And we can know these things, Hebrews tells us, because God talks, because God tells us about them. How does the book begin? It begins saying God spoke and has spoken. And then this chapter and the rest of this book is full of scripture. Almost nothing in the book of Hebrews is original to the book of Hebrews. It is almost all quotes and allusions and echoes of the Old Testament. Why? Because that's where we get glimpses of this place, of this room. That is where we come to know what can be known about God and his dwelling place. And so what does God say? What does God's word teach us about this place of highest significance? Well, it teaches us that it is a royal place. It is majesty on high. And Hebrews chapter 1 quotes from Psalm 2 and Psalm 1010. And both of those psalms are coronation songs. They were music for the enthronement of a king. Like the music we heard a few months ago in the coronation of Charles. Hebrews 1 also quotes from Psalm 45, which was a royal wedding song. It was the music for the marriage of the king and the queen. Hebrews 1 also quotes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God entered into a covenant, a lasting relationship with David and his descendants, the royal house, the royal family of God's people. And why? Why all of this royalty? 
Well, on the one hand, the imagery makes sense, doesn't it? The throne room of the king, it is the highest place. It's the place of highest, greatest authority and power and beauty. It is the ideal around which the society is organized. And so when the prophets who are mentioned here get glimpses of heaven, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, they see heaven as a throne room like, but more than, the throne rooms they would have been familiar with. But, on the other hand, this is more than just mere imagery. Through these passages, Hebrews draws a thread of anticipation. The anticipation that within the historical royal family of God's people, that from within that family would come one who is more than just another human king. From that family would come one who was not just above the people, but was also above the angels who populated and were sent from the heavenly throne room. From that family would come, and it's interesting because Hebrews 1 not only quotes from royal psalms, it also also quotes from a creation psalm, from Psalm 102, because from that family would come one through whom all things were created, by whose word of power all things are held together. From that family who would come one who, yes, is a son of David, but is also the divine, eternal son of the Father. And the place of greatest significance is the place where that son is enthroned and celebrated. And that is a reality that exists eternally, outside of and beyond time, but it is a reality that has been revealed historically in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Jesus is the full expression of that which the prophets could only speak in fragments. Jesus is what we can know about God and his dwelling place. And we are here once again where we started this point. We are bumping up against that which is incomprehensible. We are bumping up against that which is inexpressible. Here in Hebrews, it's one of the places where we find out that our God is triune, that he is one and three, that he is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I will not stand here this morning and pretend that I can fully explain that to you. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And here there are two reasons why that is a good thing why it is good for us to encounter the incomprehensible reality that Jesus reveals to us. First reason, there is no significance for us without a significance greater than us. So you know how we talk about experiences that are mind-blowing? 
a great book, a lecture, a concert, an athletic performance. That was a mind-blowing catch. There's even an emoji for that now. The emoji guy with an explosion coming out of the top of his head. That's violent language. That's a violent image, isn't it? But we see it as good. We see it as an experience that we want. Why? Because we intuit that we need our minds and our lives to be opened to what is above and beyond us. And what Jesus reveals is an infinitely greater significance than us. What Jesus reveals is that which is infinitely above and beyond us. Second reason why that is a good thing. When Jesus reveals this to us, he reveals that at the heart of everything that exists is not an indifferent, impersonal process full of violence, red and tooth and claw. No, what is at the heart of everything that exists is an inexhaustible beauty, the radiance of the glory of God. And at the heart of everything that exists is an unending, loving conversation between father and son. Isn't that what we hear here in the first chapter of Hebrews? The father lovingly speaking to his son. And Jesus shows us, he says to us, he reveals to us, that is heaven. That is the, at the heart of everything that exists. Sometimes when we talk about heaven, our eyes glaze over, and it seems distant and abstract and, frankly, boring, all those clouds and harps. But let me ask you this. Do you listen to podcasts? I know a lot of you do. It's become one of the most popular media of our time. And the most popular podcasts are not one person talking. What are they? Well, they're conversations. And they are not edited soundbite conversations. They are long-form, free-wheeling chats. Millions of downloads of two, three, four-hour conversations. And we don't get bored, do we? What's that about? Well, that's a fantasy. That is a longing of our hearts. And here's what heaven is. Heaven is the unending, most interesting, intimate conversation imaginable. And Jesus, as he is given to us in the scriptures, lets us listen in on that conversation. 
So will you let your mind and your heart be opened to the word of God to you in his son? But there's more. The incredible truth of the book of Hebrews as it shows us Jesus is not only that Jesus lets us listen in on that conversation, but he makes us a part of it. Jesus not only shows us the room, but he opens the door and invites us in. How's that possible? How does he do that? Second question, how is it possible for us to belong to this room of highest significance? Hebrews chapter two responds to the mind-blowing description of Hebrews chapter one with a forceful, practical application. A refrain that repeats in different ways throughout this book. Hebrews chapter two, verse one, therefore, as a result of this mind-blowing description, therefore, we must pay careful attention. What you attend to determines how you live. So what should we attend to? Therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard. What have we heard? Well, Hebrews chapter one, the mind-blowing truth, the mind-blowing message about who Jesus is, what he does, and what he says. In summary, it is the message of the gospel. Hebrews says to us over and over again that the gospel must be the center of our attention. It must be the center of how we perceive God and ourselves and the world around us. And we must return to that message again and again and again. Why? Because that's how we belong to the room. That is how, that message is how we are welcomed into the room where it happens because in the gospel we find Jesus not just revealing to us the inexhaustible beauty of God, but drawing our lives into that beauty and enabling our lives to reflect that beauty. In the gospel, Jesus not only speaks to us about the room where it happens, he speaks us into that room. Chapter one, verse three says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Purification for whose sins? His? No, ours. Why, why did he make purification for sins? so that when he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, he could bring us with him. And that is true, not just of the future, but of the present, of now. The book of Hebrews says, or the book of Ephesians says something similar in chapter two. It says that all who believe in Jesus, for those who have believed in Jesus, God has, hear the tense of the verb, has, already has raised them up and seated them with Christ in the heavenly places. The gospel isn't you get to go to heaven when you die. 
The gospel is heaven coming to earth. It is the inexhaustible beauty of God transforming and renewing all things. It's that unending loving conversation becoming the reunion and the reconciliation of creator and creation. And if you are in Jesus, you belong to that reunion. You belong to that reconciliation now and even more so in the future. And so we come again and again and again to what we have heard, to the message of the gospel, not only because, of it, is, because it is true, but because it fills our life with a meaning that we can't even comprehend. Alan Jacobs is a English professor at Baylor University, and he tells a story about when he was working on his PhD at the University of Virginia. And every day he would walk to the library to do his research, and every day as he walked to the library, he passed the same car. And this car was rusted out and broken down and full of trash and papers. And finally, he asked somebody, somebody what is up with that car? And he found out that it belonged to a historian named Jack Manahan. And Jack Manahan was married to a woman named Anna Anderson. And Anderson had spent her life fraudulently claiming that she was Princess Anastasia of the Romanovs. She was lost Russian royalty. She had convinced late in her life Manahan to marry her so that she could stay in the U.S. and so that they could go every day as their life descended into poverty and squalor every day to the library at the University of Virginia and dig through genealogies and histories trying to prove her claim, trying to prove that she mattered. And I think that's a sad picture of how many of us spend our lives. Out in the library of our accomplishments and our education and our abilities and our relationships and our grades and our degrees, we're out there and they're in those libraries trying to prove our claim, trying to prove that we matter while we are being impoverished of joy freedom. Can't you see the book of Hebrews says that all the mattering you could ever want is yours in the one who matters most. You don't have to write and read and fight and earn and duel your way into the room where it happens. In Jesus' You're already there. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have given us your son, that you have told us about him, that you have revealed to us your inexhaustible beauty, the love that is at the heart of all reality. And Father, it's too much for us in many ways, so difficult for us to understand But I pray that this morning you would 
Help us to open our minds and our hearts to the awe, to the wonder of what you've told us, of what you've shown us, of what you've given us in your Son. Father, help us to walk out of these doors not trying to prove we're worth it, not trying to prove that we matter, but enjoying and celebrating the significance that is ours because we are his. Help us here at Walnut Creek to be a people who continually pay careful attention to the great salvation that is ours in Jesus. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.